Amen. Thank you, Evie. Um, morning, guys. Hello. How are we doing this morning? On a scale of one to feeling fresh, where are we this morning? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Nine. Brilliant. Um, well, guys, it is such a treat to be uh, back with you again. Um, for those of you um, who I haven't met yet, my name is Esther. Um, I'm part of the team helping um, to lead IJM um, all across the UK. Um, and I wanted to start off by just saying a massive, massive thank you. Um, lots of you have got involved with IJM across this weekend. Lots of you have been involved with IJM even before Summer Madness. And um, thank you so much for your generosity and um, for your prayer. Um, as I mentioned, there's still time to get involved with Razor Rescue, with getting a youth leader covered in paint. But um, a massive, massive thank you. Because what we're doing this weekend will have a massive ripple effect around the world uh, for people we might never meet or might never know, but who will taste freedom because of what's going on this weekend. So, so thank you so much. Last night, we uh, explored the idea of what it might look like to change the world. And we looked at how our worship to God isn't just limited to the singing of songs, but that it overflows into loving the world around us. And we looked at what it might mean to have a vision for justice, for seeing wrong things made right. And then we looked at how that vision for justice doesn't leave us where we are, but how it propels us out and takes us to the people and the places in need. Then we looked how justice and compassion, when, when we bring those together, actually brings us close together with each other but also with the presence of God who promises to be with us as we show up and we get stuck in loving the world and changing the world. But here's the thing, Summer Madness. It's something I didn't touch upon last night. Because the reality is when it comes to justice, when it comes to compassion, when it comes to the work of building community, the reality is it's not always easy, and it's certainly not always a quick fix. You see, the work of, of justice, the work of compassion, we like to think of it as a, as a marathon, not a sprint. It doesn't happen overnight, because you know what? Bringing about kingdom change in the world, that is a long-term journey, and the world would love us have to think that you can click a, click a button or, or, or click like on a page and everything will be sorted, but that's just not the reality on the ground. You see, the work of justice, it is a long-term call to walk with God, to persevere through him, to, to walk with him through the ups and the downs and the highs and the lows, the challenges and the disappointments. This work of justice is called to change the world. This is going to be about a long, love-filled walk with God. So this morning, guys, I would love to suggest that there is one thing, one vital thing that we can do to help prepare us for that long-term walk with God, that long-term living out the vision that we explored yesterday 
in Isaiah 58, I would like to suggest that there is something really important that we can cultivate to help fuel us for this long-term marathon journey. And that is a life of prayer. You see, if we're going to have any hope of seeking justice, if we're going to have any hope of walking out this compassion stuff, then I want to suggest this morning that as much as we must pursue justice and we must pursue compassion, we, almost, uh, we also must pursue prayer. So this morning, I uh, would love to invite you into a journey um, that I'm currently on at the moment. It's a journey that I have been on (laughs) for the last few years. It's a journey that I am still very much learning about how to walk out. This is something that I am still digging into. I'm I'm still getting to grips with. um, And that is about how we pray for justice about how we pray for the hard things in the world. You see, if I was to invite you to join me um, for the start of my my working day um, in the IJM office um, where I'm based, if I was to invite you to, to join me, or in fact, join um, any of the IJM offices, uh, whether that be um, Cambodia or, or, or Kenya um, or, or Romania or, or any of our officers around the world for that matter, um, you would be forgiven for thinking that at the start of the day, um, we begin by doing nothing. You see, you'd walk into the office and what you'd find is you'd find people sort of sat at their desks or, or, or scrilled away in a corner, maybe with, with headphones in or their eyes closed, um, not talking, being pretty stationary, doing nothing. Weird. And what you'd actually discover if you dug a little deeper is that they spend the first 30 minutes of every working day in in what we call stillness. In other words, um, stilling ourselves before God and praying for half an hour, talking one-on-one to the God of justice, the God we read about in Isaiah 58. Inviting God into the day, recognizing God with us. And then we crack on and we do what we do. We do investigations and undercover work. We do um, funding applications. We do social work. We do legal work. We, we crack on. We do all the things that we do. And then um, at around about 12.30, again, we, we, we down tools and we come together for another half an hour. Um, and this time we pray together. And this time we pray as a team out loud. And we'll pray for rescues and raids happening that day. Uh, we'll pray for divine favor. We'll pray for wisdom with governments. We'll pray for resources. We'll pray for the healing of our clients that we work with. You name it, we'll, we'll pray for it. And um, you know what? We've been praying for you too over the last few weeks ahead of this weekend. And um, to the business minded amongst you, if I'm sure there are many, um, this could seem absolutely ridiculous. And I'm really sorry if you're a donor, um, because we spend an hour of every working day, that's approximately 1,500 staff around the world, that's over 300,000 paid hours of prayer each year. But it is our most precious investment. Why? 
where there are so many good things that we could do, do we do that? You see, Summer Madness, the enemy isn't scared of our brilliance or our money or our energy or our talent, great as those things are. The enemy is terrified when we partner with the God of all creation, the God of justice, Father God, and we pray and we ask him to move. Say hands up in the room. Who in the room has got their prayer life sorted and nailed? Yeah, me neither, all right? Because you know what? Praying and praying for justice, praying for hard things can feel really hard at times. So often we simply don't. Um, But this morning, I would love us to explore together what it might look like for us to pray for justice. And to do that, we are going to combine um, a global tour with a bit of a Bible tour um, in about 15 minutes. All right? You're up for the challenge. We're going to give it a go. And um, although I'm going to talk about some of the big issues of injustice, an issue like slavery, what I'm going to share can, I believe, also really, really help us when it comes to personal injustice or, or hard situations in our own life, you know, things like, um, like a relationship that's really difficult or, or a situation that, that's painful or, you know, a local issue where we just need to see change and we just need to see God break through. Does that make sense? So though I'm going to talk about some of the big global issues, um, let's also ask the Holy Spirit to help us identify what in our own lives might we want to see change in. Does that make sense? Cool. So are you ready? We're going to look at three different ways that we can pray to change the world. And we're going to, um, we're going to start off in the book of Nehemiah, which um, if you've got a Bible with you, it's in the Old Testament. It's a, a tiny little gem of a book. Uh, you can find it right before the book of Esther. What a gal. And uh, <laughs> it's on um, page 484 of my Bible really helpful. Um, and uh, if you don't know his story, it's a cracker. It, um, it starts off something like this. So you've got our main guy, Nehemiah, and he is working for the king when he hears uh, that his city, his beloved Jerusalem, is in danger. You see, what's, been, what's happened is the wall that surrounds the city has been broken down. And it means that this has become a really dangerous place for people to live. So his people, the people that he knows and that he loves, have been left like exposed and vulnerable to all sorts of dangers. You know, they've been left vulnerable to dangers of, of poverty and, and violence and, and, and slavery even. And Nehemiah hears about what's gone on in his hometown And in chapter 1 of Nehemiah, we read his response to his community where the walls are broken down. His response is is quite simple. You can see it, chapter 1, verse 4. He says this, When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. It's not just a one-off knee-jerk reaction. 
No, he says, for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Scholars estimated that his period of mourning was somewhere between four and six months. In other words, he let the injustice get personal. And he allowed the state of the nation, of the city, of the people that he loves, he allowed it to hit his heart. And his response is prayer that weeps. Prayer that got on its knees and cried out to God for the people he cares for. Prayer that got really, really honest and poured out his feelings to the Father. It's prayer that doesn't hold back. It's not prayer that is neat and packaged in perfect words. It's prayer that is honest from the heart of him. And you know what? This sort of prayer, it, it kind of flies in the face of our culture, right? And other parts of the world find this sort of prayer much, much easier. There's something about a culture here where we're sort of built on like a stiff upper lip where you can't show any weakness and you have to save face. And, um, and you know what? I, for one, like find prayer like this, like honest prayer like this, I find it really hard. You know, I'm not very good at this. Um, I personally like to hide from bad news. You know, I, I'm not a fan of bad news. Anyone else? No. Um, like, I don't know if you remember, um, like during COVID, right at the start, we, we had the kind of like daily updates, like the daily numbers of, of what was happening. And you'd sort of tune in, I think it was 6 p.m., and, and you'd have like the daily numbers of people that had been hospitalized and, uh, and the people that had, that had passed away. It was, it was horrendous, um, really, really awful. And I remember like for the first few days, like I was absolutely kind of gripped and I, I was watching it and it was awful. And yeah, I'm, lots, I'm sure lots of you remember that. But then after few days and a few weeks that went on, I, I sort of began to kind of find it all a bit much. And so kind of I just would change the channel and, and the walls of my heart went up. It was too hard, too overwhelming, and I disengaged. I suppose one of the amazing things about Nehemiah that we see is that he actually lets himself get overwhelmed by injustice. He doesn't put up walls. Pippa spoke about that the other day, didn't she? He didn't let the walls of his heart go up, but instead he actually feels the injustice. He lets himself get overwhelmed by it. And in doing so, he became completely reliant on God. I was reminded of this, um, this recently, where as a team, we were, we were praying for a case um, in, in Ghana, the word had got through. Um, a 10-year-old girl had been brought to safety from just the most awful exploitation. It was awful. She was in hospital. She wasn't doing well. And, um, and we gathered to, to pray at that 12.30 prayer point. And like something within the team broke again. Like something within us just hit our heart. And the team were weeping for this girl for this story, getting honest before 
God. And I want to ask you, if you sit, you know, with this idea of prayer that weeps, what does that look like to you? What does being honest with God look like to you? What does it take for you to open up your heart and and pour out your honest feelings? No hold bars. What does that look like for you? Number one, prayer for justice, prayer for hard things is, is prayer that doesn't hold back that is honest about the hurt. We can be honest with God. It's prayer that doesn't keep the hard things of the world at arm's length, but allows them to get close, to hit our hearts. It's prayer that weeps. Number one, prayer that weeps. The second type of of prayer that I'd love to suggest It's helpful for us this morning. We find uh, a few hundred years and a few hundred pages um, on in our Bible, this time in in the New Testament. And um, if you want to join me, you can join me um, at the start of of Luke chapter 18. I told you it was going to be a wild wild tour. (laughs) Luke chapter 18, um, where, where Jesus tells a really, really strange story. A strange story centers around uh, two main characters, um, a widow and then uh, an unjust judge. And and the widow is hassling the unjust judge. And it's a a story um, of two sides, right? So I like to sort of imagine it um, like in the red corner, we have the widow, right? Uh, She isn't given a name. She is, is vulnerable. She has no one really to protect her. She's all on her own. And and she is asking for help repeatedly. Okay, so you've got the widow in the red corner. And then in the blue corner over here, uh, we have the judge. And he is powerful. We're told that he is corrupt. He has no compassion. He doesn't really care about many people. He doesn't care about the widow. Um, He doesn't care what God thinks about him either. He only really cares for himself. But the widow over here keeps pestering him, keeps on pestering him for help, keeps on asking him for help until he finally gives in. And in verse four of this funny little story, um, we read that the judge uh, says this. He says, he finally said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps on bothering me, I'll see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Really noble motivation there. What a guy. Now the good news about this story is that in this story, the widow is not meant to represent us, right? And uh, and even better news, the the angry judge, the corrupt judge, does not represent God either. It's quite the opposite. You see, rather, even if in this situation, where you've got um, kind of a powerless person, you know, hassling um, an angry, corrupt individual, even if um, in that situation, the widow's persistent prayers are answered by a corrupt judge, 
then how much more does God want to do for us, his children, who he loves when we call out to him? You see, in verse 1 of this story, Jesus tells us, he's actually telling us this story for a purpose. He tells us, uh, he says that it's to show us that we should always pray and never give up. And this is the second type of prayer that we're invited into when it comes to praying for hard things. That is prayer that persists. Prayer that keeps on going. And I've been, um, I've been learning about this idea of persistent prayer over the last few years. As, a, as we as IJM, we pray through cases of, of modern slavery, of human trafficking that are stuck in, in like broken systems. And, uh, and often these cases, they take years, they sometimes take decades to reach their conclusion. On, um, on, on Friday, just a couple of days ago, um, we were celebrating uh, the conviction of five traffickers who trafficked a teenage girl into exploitation in South Asia. And my colleagues had been working on this case for over nine years. Nine years. In that time, the girl who had been rescued, she gave 19 testimonies in court. There were 26 other witnesses called. There are eight different judges assigned to her case. And from the rescue operation to finally seeing justice come, over nine years. And the team in South Asia had been praying that whole time. I find that really challenging. And you know what? In, in situations like this, persistence is really hard. You know, it doesn't always seem to make sense. You know, to be honest, guys, if I was God, I would answer all of my prayers straight away. I get that. And it, it reminds me, I um, yeah, recently was talking to, um, I'm going to say an older lady, um, who has recently taken up, uh, taken up gymming. So she's recently taken up going to the gym. And her ambition over the last few months um, has been to learn to do a single press-up. That's what she wants to learn to do. And um, she was telling me about the exercises that she's been doing. She's been giving weights a go, some strengthening work. Um, but how she hasn't actually been seeing any progress yet. She still can't do that press-up. Now, is her training a waste of time? No. Because under the surface, her muscles, they're, they're tearing and they're repairing themselves. And, and slowly, she is getting stronger day by day by day. Even if it's not like a dramatic overnight transformation, something under the surface it is strengthening. And I think persistent prayer can be like this a little bit. It sometimes can be really, really painful. Like we sometimes don't know why the breakthrough is taking time. We sometimes don't know why the healing is taking time or it's not instant. Sometimes we don't know. But I want to encourage you guys that it's not that it's not doing anything. It's not that your prayers are like wasted breath. Sometimes these things are strengthening us deep under the surface so that we can go the long haul and keep on going. 
you know, over the last um, six, seven years nearly that I've been with, with, with IJM, there have been times when, honestly, this has not felt easy at all. And there are definitely stories where we're still having to persevere in prayer. Um, just recently, I was reflecting on this. We were, we were praying for an operation to bring 30 children uh, to safety from a case um, of slavery um, in the fishing industry. Word came through from our teams and, and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed for several weeks. And when it came to it, the night of the operation... A tip-off had happened, and it was too dangerous to go into that community, and the children had been moved, and we are still working out how to bring those kids to safety. And so we will keep on praying. We will keep on persevering. The invitation in Luke 18 is to be persistent, even if the answer doesn't come straight away, even if we don't see the answers we want when we want. The invitation is to keep going, guys, is to keep talking to Jesus about it, to knock on the door until our knuckles are raw. Number one, prayer that weeps for injustice, prayer that gets honest about the hurt and the hard things in the world. Number two, prayer that perseveres for justice, prayer that keeps on going, prayer that won't back down, prayer that won't give up. And then, well, then there are those sweet moments of prayer that, that bring the breakthrough right now. I, um, I've recently got the, the privilege of getting to know the story of um, a remarkable young woman uh, called Ruby. Um, I can't show you a, a picture of her face fully, but um, she's from uh, the Philippines. Um, she is incredibly courageous, um, and she is a survivor um, of trafficking. And uh, she was 16 years old when a recruiter offered her a job in a computer shop. And that job offer turned out to be a lie. And she describes turning up at her new job, it being like a bomb going off in her head as the door was locked behind her and, and she was trapped. And then she was forced to perform online shows all around the world for, for paying customers, um, including here in our country. And a few months into this ordeal, she actually tried to escape but she was captured and she was threatened at knife point. Um, and it was that evening that she got on her knees and cried out, God, if you're real, get me out of here. The very next day, IJM and police invaded where she was held and, and brought her and five other girls to freedom. The very next day. And you know what? Ruby's story reminds me of a little gem in, um, in Acts 12, um, which if you want to join me there again, you can flip over to that, where we find uh, Peter, one of the disciples um, in prison. And uh, Peter has been arrested. There is a death threat over his life. Things are absolutely not looking good for Peter. But there's an absolutely golden verse 
that is hidden in between the description of like the prison and the captivity um, and the, the, the trouble that Peter's in and, and what, what Herod has done to his friends and, and the situation he's in. There's this gem of this verse that's hidden. I don't know if you can spot it. It's in verse 5. It says this, but the church was earnestly praying for him. And you see, this verse acts like a hinge for the whole story. It's where the direction does a complete change for Peter. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And from verse 7 onwards, we read this like crazy miracle story. It reminds me of Ruby. Um, he's, he's visited uh, by an angel and then the chains fall off his wrists and Peter is liberated. He is set free back into his community. It's beautiful. Um, as a side note, I, I love the community reaction when he comes back because Peter like knocks on the door and then this sweet lady, Rhoda, answers and she's so shocked to see Peter that she actually slams the door in his face and forgets to invite him in. I love it. Rhoda, what a legend. Um, but it all hinges on that verse. The church was earnestly praying to God for him. That's where the direction of his story changes. Pete Gregg writes in his book, Dirty Glory, he writes uh, this. He says, the hinge of history is the bended knee. In other words, the things that change history is when people get on their knees and they pray. And it is a total mystery. It is a wonder. It's something I don't fully understand but Father God responds when his children, when you and me come to him and ask for what we need and we pray. Yes, sometimes that's through tears. Yes, sometimes it, it takes time and it is hard to know why it does. I get that. But, but like Ruby crying out, prayer can bring the breakthrough. One more um, fun story. Then we're going to finish and, and we're actually going to pray and try and put some of this stuff um, in action. But one more um, fun story. During, um, during lockdown, um, as, a, as a team, we were praying uh, for breakthrough um, in an operation in South Asia. It was happening to bring uh, people that were working in a factory to safety. What has happened during the lockdowns is we saw this um, lots and lots is that people were getting basically like locked down in their places of work um, in some places around the world and they were trapped they were being held captive and um, it was it's pretty awful situations and we are praying um, for this operation to bring people to safety from a brick kiln in, in South Asia we were praying we were praying at the end of the day the word came through that 360 people had been brought to freedom in that afternoon that was a pretty good day's work right but what happened next blew our minds. You see, as we continued to pray, word in that community uh, kind of got around. And over the next 36 hours, we saw a further 7,000 people that had been trapped in slavery brought to safety. 36 hours, 7,000 people. You see, sometimes breakthrough comes for individual stories like Ruby's. Sometimes it's whole communities 
like that one in South Asia, sometimes whole nations begin to change. But it's prayer for justice, prayer that weeps, prayer that perseveres, and prayer that brings the breakthrough when we partner with the presence of God. So guys, this morning, I'm really aware that there will be a whole load of injustices that you will feel passionate about, that you will feel called to, uh, you know, from environmental issues that we've heard about to issues um, like slavery um, that I've been speaking about, to local issues, to actually more personal issues where there are situations that you just feel stuck in, that don't feel right, that you need God to intervene in. If that is you, I want to encourage you to keep going, to keep praying, to talk to God, to be honest with him, to keep on going, because he loves it. He loves to act when his children call out to him. Perhaps that is you. You've got an injustice that you really want to see the dial shift. And in which case, you know, this morning is a great place to start. And for others of you, now I'm talking about prayer and this whole area you know, is, is, is way out of your comfort zone. And you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't even know where to start in talking to God. And, and if that's you, and that is something that you're like, I'm hearing what you're saying, but I just don't even know where to start. Then this morning might be just a great time to take that first step and ask God for his help. Speak to the creator of the world and ask for his help. And um, in a moment, we're going to spend a little bit of time um, in worship and having some space to respond, some, pe- some space to, to pray. But before we do, I just want to reassure you that um, this isn't about any sort of formula. This isn't about getting the words right or, or trying to be better somehow. That is never what it's about. You see, because prayer for justice, prayer for hard things, you know, any type of prayer really, it's about intimacy with the Father. It's about sharing what's on our hearts with him. It's about sharing our heart for a world in need and then letting that closeness with God overflow with him. And so to end with, I would love to just end with the words um, of Paul in Romans 8. This is the message version that I hope puts you at ease. And it reassures us that if we don't know how or or what to pray for, it doesn't matter. Because God's spirit is right alongside us, helping us along. He does our praying in us and for us. Making prayer out of our wordless sighs and our aching groans. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. Because God's spirit is right alongside us helping us along. Shall we stand?